0: I'm Martin Wilson, and this is The Next Turn, powered by ProTurn.io. The Next Turn is the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. So thank you for joining us in the pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Ryan Cochran Seagull. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's good to have you here, as always. It is good to have Jeff Vibert and Kara Williams by my side. Kara Williams, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. I've been loving uh, all of the dramatics that have been happening, uh, unfolding over the last few weeks in the World Cup. There's been some crazy stuff. We've had uh, a Canadian medal. We've had two American women on the podium together. We've got a new record tie.
0: Record tie?
1: Michaela Schifrin tying the all-time. Uh-huh. Room. <laughs> Did you <laughs> not know about sense. that, Martin? It <laughs> happened. <I miss> it. <laughs> 82. Amy, hey,
0: too. I just assume she's already at 100. I, like, she's Open your gone. phone. <laughs> I know. I'm just staying off the socials. Mate. I've been banned. Jeff, how are
2: you, man? Uh, I'm great, guys, and it's crazy to see what's happening on the World Cup, especially when they have so little snow. Did you see that track on the weekend?
0: I saw the thin strip down the middle. I'll tell you what, the surfaces seemed all right, though. And it's just good racing. Our sport's showing off right now. Like, it's, it's in peak form right now, and it's really fun to watch. Can't wait for the next month and head into the World Championships in February. This week, we have a great conversation with Brian Cochran Siegel. It's his second visit to the next turn, and it's good to have him back after a two-year break. He is in an interesting spot in his career, and we talked a lot about that. But before we get started, why don't we do the business, Jeff, will you give us the hard facts on R.C.S.
2: Ryan Cochran Siegel or RCS as we know him. Born March 27, 1992 in Burlington, Vermont. His mother, Barbara Cochran, won the Slalom Gold Medal in the 1972 Olympics. She taught Ryan how to ski when he was just two years old. RCS made his World Cup debut in November 2011 at Lake Louise, Canada. He suffered a number of setbacks due to injury over his career. In 2013, he tore his ACL and MCL at the World Championships. He returned in 2014, winning the Noram overall. In 2015, he missed the entire season, recovering from a meniscus transplant. Made his way back, and in 2021, was making noise with two World Cup podiums: second in the downhill at Val Gardena, first in the Super G at Bormio, before unfortunately crashing at Kitzbühel and injuring his neck. Of course, he finished second at the Super G. The 2022 Beijing Olympics winning a silver medal.
0: Those are some hard facts. Long list of them. Thank you for that, Jeff. If those are the hard facts, Kara, what is the story on Ryan Cochran Siegel?
1: Well, Martin, you first sat down with Ryan in February 2021, shortly after he sustained a minor spine fracture after crashing in Kittsbuel. And in the two years, sorry. You laugh, but it's because you made a really funny joke the last time that only a Vermonter would say they slightly broke their back. Yeah. Uh, In the two years since we uh, first spoke with him, Ryan has added a few accolades to his resume, namely the silver medal at the 22 Beijing Olympics. He changed equipment from Rossignol to head, and as as he explains, switching gear isn't always completely seamless he talks about that with us he's in his 15th season now on uh with the u.s ski team and he talks to us about returning to racing after his injuries how training um he's concentrating right now on technique and fundamentals he's also he speaks to us about his confidence or lack of confidence and how that can make all the difference when measured in hundreds of seconds um, j- just so our listeners know it is early january so we've only really begun the competitive world cup season he nabbed a top 10 at birds of prey downhill and a top five at the Bormio Downhill. So he's looking ahead to Vangen and Kitzbühel later this month. And he tells us a little bit about which sections of the course are tactically important and where the race is won and lost. So get your notebooks ready. This is some great information, great conversation.
0: Kara. thank you for that. It is always a great chat with Ryan. He is smart and thoughtful and open. I'll say this to listeners. Maybe it might be worth going back, if you haven't, to listen to Ryan's first conversation with us on the next term from a couple of years ago because it'll give you some context as we go back and revisit some of his thinking and ideas and, and see where he is on his progression as an athlete and a human, just to see what's happened in those last couple of years. So it's really quite interesting. Like Kara was saying, I got to talk to him just a couple of days ago when he was on break a couple of days after he came back from Bormio a couple of days before he heads over to Vengen to race. And the day after he was at his backyard, Cochrane ski hill training and racing, with a bunch of USSA athletes from around the state and giving it an all, That gives me a lot of context about what this guy is really all about. So folks, you've got the hard facts from Jeff, you've got the story from Karen, hopefully a little bit of context going into this, but here's our conversation with Ryan Cochran Siegel here on The Next Turn. Let's start where we should start sometimes second place is the coolest place in the world. Sometimes it's not. How are you feeling after coming in second to Robbie
3: being the second fastest Cochrane at the holiday classic? Uh, I feel good. I think I, um yeah, I could have used a little bit more training, but he skied well and he had the best skier of the day one. So that's, what's important. The
0: fastest Cochrane <laughs> goes to Robbie Kelly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I bring that up because I think that's really awesome that, that's what you were doing with your break what
3: why is that important to you why are you doing that i don't know i think i think if i can go home and like get a few runs at cochran's and you know especially like ski some slalom it's been a while since i've been skiing slalom so i i think that's one of those things that i enjoy um it just happened that we were able to do like a ussa race that was happening that day um so it all kind of just worked out and it was a lot of fun. I mean, it definitely reminded me a lot of the TGFS, which we do in the spring and just like, you know, the energy that you see from the kids racing. And and I think it's kind of, it's cool to come back like three days after Ormeo and, and get back to that kind of racing. I think it like makes you, you know, realize just how, I think, how fun the sport can be. That's a terrific answer.
0: I want to, I'll get back to that after. because I'd like to revisit some of, we, we spoke about two years ago. And thank you for coming back. And um, you, you, you were recently hurt when we spoke, but the most powerful thing that I took away was was some of the comments you 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 had about relieving pressure in your career and, and parenting. And the one that really stuck with me is you suggested that if parents really wanted to make a difference. Go have a couple um, runs with your kids after. Yeah, uh, I'd love that. When you were at the bottom of of cochran's at the ussa
3: race. What's your take of the vibe? How how are we doing? I mean, Cochran's is kind of it's, it's not how every race is. I think it like there was, I mean, over a hundred competitors for both men and women, so it was like very, I mean, a positive, I think, environment. um You know, it wasn't the nicest day. I think we were fortunate it didn't rain, but the snow at first was variable. Well. I think the women, like, we didn't solve for the women course. So then it kind of got pretty beat up, but then after that it was good condition. So all in all, I think everyone had a good time and seeing that too. I think, yeah, you can definitely, you know, you see the passion that so many kids have at, at very different levels, like, and how much they enjoy it. Um, but it's also, it's hard to see too. Like I haven't, you know, I'm not at every club at every race to see, you know, what, what it was like when I was growing up, I think there is, you know, a shift in like, in that culture a little bit. Um, I feel like it's less and less, kind of like you fall into skiing and then you grow up as a you're like grow up as a ski racer ski high school and then compete like college races if you want and more kind of that like early um administration of just trying to become an elite skier like sending your kids to all these summer camps and doing that and it's definitely it's different than like how i grew up
0: what are the things i want to
3: ask you like you've been on the u.s ski team now for 15 years
0: yeah yeah and, and you've been very successful. Do you think there's a better development model than having to be on the U.S. ski team for 15 years?
3: It's a good question. I mean, clearly you can see there are other guys that have, like, gotten to my level and reached above my level that are quite a bit younger than me. Uh, but I think those, like, types of athletes also, they're not the norm. I mean, like, speaking of people like, I mean, Odermont or, um, I mean, Kilda where he's at now we're the same age, but he's definitely like way more, I mean, solidified in his career, but no, I think it's like, yeah, ideally it'd be, you know, a three or four year path from being your club level skiing through Noram's skiing a little bit of Europa Cup and then getting to the world cup. Um, But it's not, I don't think there's like a, you know, a set timeline that you should follow. I think there's kind of like a general path. And I think some people progress faster than others and, Um, as long as you're kind of on that trajectory and like, you know, you have that possibility of getting to the world cup and then also moving through the world cup. I think like right now, river's doing a really good job of like, he was obviously kind of our like young us phenom, um, started skiing a little bit of world cup kind of, I mean, struggled at that level, but was doing well, kind of in the lower levels. And, and it's taken a little while for him to break through, but now I feel like, Like, especially last season, how consistent he was and kind of like, you could see the progress. And I mean, he was so close to winning a medal at the Olympics too, that like, he's right there. I mean, just like, listen, the reason I, the reason
0: I asked that it's not as a slight to you, like how come it's taken you 15 years. I'm just thinking, is there a better model throughout the nation (laughs) or North America? Yeah. So like, you're lucky that you, you've been in on the team for 15 years you're coming now to the peak of you to the point of your career well i see that a lot of really incredible shit can happen there must be a better way to keep more
3: people like you in it longer <laughs> yeah i i think i mean looking at my path i think like one of the reasons why it took me so long was just like the injury kind of right when i was breaking in um and that you know that type of setback it, it adds years to your development before you can get to this level. Um, so obviously I think the biggest thing is, you know, keeping skiers healthy. And I think if you can stay healthy and stay competitive and just constantly kind of progress your level, um, that's how you get to to develop at an earlier stage. I mean, obviously I think like the ideal model of the US ski team for elite athletes is that you're able to, you know, by 20, three twenty four you're kind of at that world cup level and like consistently scoring points, and then you can fully support yourself in like you know that that career path you can be skiing World Cup ten to fifteen years. I think when it's like every season seems like a battle then it then it becomes really challenging, and I think you kind of over time it can be just limiting too like the odds of you breaking through you know get a little bit smaller every year after not doing it the previous year, if that makes sense. So. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Um,
0: I appreciate you thinking big picture. I, I sorry to throw that off you at you right off the bat. I just, I thought you had a lot of smart stuff to say and I'm, I'm curious to your thoughts on. So thank you. And I guess what I'm saying is you have a high ski IQ. I was talking to a couple coaches, uh, Dykster house and Patrick Biggs the other day we had them on and we were talking about skier IQ Yeah, and I was saying that North American kids got some Norwegian kids and, and a few Academy kids. Yeah. And the ski IQ is totally different. Yeah. And the way that are able to talk about it and think about it and communicate about it is just different. Yeah. Um, I'd say you have a pretty
3: high ski IQ though.
0: <laughs>
3: uh, I mean, I, I think I, I try to do my best to like, think about the right things. Um, I think at this level, you definitely have to have a really good idea and understanding of the sport in order to be able to know which direction to take to get better. Um, and I think it's like also just the amount of time we've spent kind of learning how to ski race and how to be a better skier. You, you pick up on like a lot of different things and over, over time, it kind of all like blends together and makes sense. So I don't know, it's, it's just like, I think an accumulation of spending so much time in this sport. Um, is what I, what I believe, but I, I mean, back to what you're talking about, like the difference between North American and I think European, especially Norwegian, there's definitely like, I don't know if it's just a culture thing of how immersed Norwegians are with winter sports. I think it's like a huge part of their culture. And then because it's not even like, they're not just going to be talking about skiing when they're on the Hill. I think it's like talking about it in school, talking about it, like with their family. And that kind of like, I think brings that level and that kind of professionalism at once you get to this age group of where you're at. Whereas I think in North America, it's like, you know, I went to a public school and I was the only one, I mean, there was a high school ski racing team, but it wasn't like, and at an elite level. And, you know, I was really the only one that understood the system of that. So during the winter I got to spend time with like my ski friends and we understood how all that worked. But then, you know, the other nine months of the year, it was kind of more just a normal life. So those are kind of battles that take place, I think over here, just more kind of dispersed. Last year, when we talked to Paul Epstein, he
0: got really mad. He goes, because he didn't understand why North Americans were so,
3: oh my God, it's so hard to ski over in Europe. Yeah. I think, I, I always think it's just like we build up that, you know, that idea in our heads of how difficult it is without actually going there and recognizing, you know, we're all just skiing. Um, I mean, I definitely had, like, my first time, my first trip to Europe was in 2000. 11 we went to paganel and then we like did a couple i think we did a fist race in Kirkberg, and the race in kirkburg i remember thinking i was like way out of my league and then i ended up doing like fine i think you know you like you build up all these skiers in your head like just because they're austrian or swiss that they're going to be amazing skiers and then in reality you know they all i think similar levels to yourself um i think there's a greater depth over there and that's kind of what we, I think, build into, like, our idea of the best skier. Because we'll see, you know, some, like, if they're, like, ranked 10th in in the country in Switzerland and they come over here and they're, like, you know, one of the top three guys skiing, we're like, oh, wow, I can't imagine what, like, number one is like. And usually this that number one guy is probably still right in the mix of, like, that group in North America, but we have the perception that they're that much stronger. Well, but I will say... I think, in terms of developing stars, I mean, aside from, you know, Ted, Michaela, Lindsay, Julia, Bodie, Andrew, like the Europeans have much more consistency. And maybe that's the depth that they bring. But, like, seeing Oldermott develop, I think it would be really, that would be, I think, rare in the US. I mean, Bodie is the only one that I think would be comparable to him, you know?
0: I, I think America especially does an incredible job with the outliers, like the,
3: the superstar. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think we re- we've we relied on it so much. And I think now we're kind you of- think? Getting, <laughs> I, yeah. We're getting, we're, I mean, not to say that like, like we're still getting results. I mean, like watching Paula um, in Semmering was so awesome. And I th- those are the moments that like we really have to also understand are like realistic in terms of our development. I think our reliance on Michaela, especially the last few years- you know, she's a phenom and regardless of where she grew up, she would be where she's at. And I think we can't we can't be like, oh, she's American, like we built that. It's like Michaela, you know, and that system, like her mom and her coaching and like she's the reason why she's there. It's, you know, I don't think we can rely on that model to develop yeah. our entire, I think, system because she <laughs> is so unique. That's uh, a point well taken.
0: And I hope other people take that point. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Thank you for thinking like that. In, in the last two years since we, we've we've spoken, um, a lot's happened. You're, you're healthy again, knocked on wood. Things yeah. are all right. Um, you got your silver medal in the Super yeah. G in Beijing, and that's pretty exciting. Knowing you a little bit, as I do, when I look at the, the rest of your last two years, mm-hmm. I got to think that you're a little frustrated
3: like like antsy in like ready <laughs> yeah i think you know it's so interesting how like when i got injured it was i felt like i was really coming into my own as a skier and i think in a way it was just unfortunate timing because i had that like kind of expectation built in for so long that i was like at that level and um since getting back to racing i think it's been you know eye-opening that i'm not i'm like it takes a lot of work to get there and and a lot of things have to come into place perfectly in order for, I think me to be at that level. I think I have shown moments and I can ski there, but I think it's like, I'm still working on that consistency. And I think I still just need to, I think it's like keying in on, I mean, fundamentals and like confidence and building all of that in order to get back there. But yeah, it's definitely like, it's been a learning experience. I think, um, trying to get my skiing, back to the best that it can be the past.
0: when you look ahead at the next few weeks mm-hmm. are you
3: doing are you doing the gs or are you starting at vengen yeah starting vengen yeah. no um flying tomorrow and then doing a little training before um and then yeah vengen next weekend vengen then kids then Garmisch. yeah
0: those yeah. are some fun tracks
3: yeah no for sure i'm I mean, I think I'm excited. I think it's always nice after this little break to go over because Vang in, in terms of the skiing is a little bit um, more forgiving. I mean, just compared to kids Field, but it's a good like kind of revamping or re, like getting reamped for it. Um, so, and then kids is a challenge. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think you gotta, you gotta go into each track with enthusiasm and excitement and ski it, you know, how, how you've learned to ski it.
0: You know those tracks, and those tracks are pretty similar year after year.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, can you talk about, as a guy who's going to be watching, what should we be looking for in uh, what needs to go well? at the Different things have to go well to be successful at Wengen and Kitzbühel and, and Garmers. Those are three distinct tracks. Can you talk about what the keys are over the next month?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's – generally obviously it's like fundamentally you have to be skiing well i think vengen's a little bit more gliding so i think having that like clean touch with the ski um and then kits feels you have to bring a good intensity like i think a little bit more reliance on good technical turns up top and then on the bottom but then again a little bit of gliding in the middle um i would vengen i think like what's been my achilles heel in terms of like doing better has been the s turn before the tunnel i think that's just like it's such a wide variance of kind of how you can go into it and how you can come out and you really have to be maximizing your speed out and it's just a very difficult turn it's like a very short window when you can start the turn and how you how you exit so that's like to me that's the race and i think that's been the race for the past few years does that the strategy there vary
0: from year to year day to day what what goes into when you're in an inspection on the day how do you talk about it <laughs> and i think
3: with, this is where i want to be this is a plan yeah i mean it's like the difficult part is you have i mean probably 200 meters of straight away and you're pointed at a fence that like kind of you come to a tee and you have It's basically 10 meters. I mean, really like you're trying to start the turn within this like five meter section. And so at like, you know, you're coming in there at like a hundred and 105 kilometers an hour, it's just hard to time that. And the snow always changes a little bit too coming into the race day. It gets like a little bit wavy in that start. So it's just like, if you can engage it and get, you know, the depth, but also the ski engagement coming through, then as you pass the gate, you're like, projected above the net sometimes if you're a little behind it then you get pushed and you're like your ski angle is coming too far underneath and then you have to hook up to make the make it by the net um or if you pinch again you're going to be coming like under so it's just like you have to get into a very like active quick movement and the timing just has to be very very dialed in so it's going from a a downhill move Timing wise into a GS move. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the turns above that are pretty slow. I mean, you go through like Hunshaf and Canadian corner, which like are some a little like super GS esque -esque turns, but then you have like this one turn that it's also like, I don't know how, like the ski drill when you're going fall in and then you have to make the turn, that's like the turn you have to make. And I think over the years, I've learned that you kind of like, you hit with the right so that you can get that like engagement going in the left and you just have no, like you're, I mean... This far from the net right it's like there's no room to play with so it's just like i think i do well on tracks where i can make turns that like are a little bit offline here and there whereas that turn you have like there's no there's no room to play with you have you're like given like one turn you have to turn and then that's it it's about x <laughs> yeah. or you hit the tunnel walls yeah yeah and that's that's
0: like, and if you do dump miles an hour there, you know it. And that's and you sit there oh, yeah. and you're stuck for the next thirty seconds. Yeah. like it, it yeah. hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, completely, exactly. So if that's if that's the key at Bingen, what's last time you talked about Kitzbühel? Um, how you had to be really geared up for certain sections mm-hmm. and, and one or two key sections if if the S turns in the in the in the tunnel what it about it banging what's kids feel
3: kids feel i think is you know mis- minimizing the distance you're skiing um with like as clean of a ski as possible all the way up to the style hung like turn and then i think to win the race like when Foyt's has won it like the three races he won it he just like m- maximizes his speed out of style hung so you get again it's kind of similar like fall line but you have to go and then it's a super big side hall side hill before you get to the road and that's like that speed you do not gain again until you hit the tri- traverse on the bottom. So, um, it's like, you just have to engage the ski clean, I think, get depth, but then have it coming back to, and have the ski kind of cutting back across that side hill, passing the gate before you get on the road as early as possible. Is kind of like where I think most of that race is it's exciting. It's funny how like the exp- exciting parts of kids I don't think are really necessarily the places that you actually win. It's like you you win in like the other parts, the nerdy parts. Yeah, exactly. I've heard that before. That kissspiel it seems like
0: it's this test of mental fortitude. Absolutely, yeah, courage. And there's definitely that element to it. But really, it is like a chess game of where. Yeah. where-
1: Alpine skiing coaches know that video analysis is one of the most effective tools to improve athlete performance, but imagine, what if we could make video analysis simpler and even more effective? Proturn.io empowers you to take your video analysis to the next level by overlaying speed, acceleration, and turn data directly into your videos. This enhances video analysis, helps athletes of all levels dig deeper. With speed and acceleration right on the video, athletes can gain a more detailed understanding of the direct impact of their tactics and techniques. With Proturn, video review sessions become more concrete and easier to understand. Take a closer look at your turns and start elevating your training. Visit proturn.io slash the next turn to get 10% off your pro turn pack. Proturn.io, train smarter, improve faster. And now back to our conversation with Ryan Cochran Siegel on the next turn.
0: Another big change that you've had over the couple, since we last spoke is you're on head skis and you yeah. have the legendary Heinzee with you. Um, i was actually talking to, to a few others I, I look at it it can be a real struggle and yeah. learning curve and it's amazing how many steps back you could take yeah because you believe that you can take some steps forward and and, and what goes into that i look at someone like michelle jacin right now yeah. like just totally struggling on her equipment yeah right something like that what what is the process for you what was that process and he and heinz is the man right yeah and yeah. you can you, what is how much of it was the ski and how much of it was working with him that made you switch and and what's gone into the last couple of years what have you learned
3: yeah i think like when he's i mean initially like i was planning to resign with Rossi. i mean i was injured and in, like all those things and i was coming off the best season of my career Um, and it it was just like kind of the way the conversations worked, like head was able to kind of put their foot in the door and then they were able to like put some things on the table that, um, you know, I felt could be really positive, especially kind of like going forward with my career. And I mean that the biggest piece of that was I think working with Heinz. And so, you know, that like idea got put in my, put in my brain and I feel like that was kind of like, that definitely helped, um, with this decision and ultimately why, why I ended up signing with Head. I think since that like whole process went down, it's been very eye opening. Just you know, um, I think I saw Head as the best. You know, the best athletes, especially in speed, were on Head. Like you looked at Creekmar with the season that he had had, winning World Champs in downhill and Super G, winning the Super G title, um, and like guys like Meyer and Foytz and all these, you know, really strong skiers. I was like, okay, like clearly the equipment works. And I think what I've learned is that like most of those guys are all skiing on unique type of setups. I mean, there's a lot of variations between the bindings, the construction of the skis, length of the skis, the boots. And, um, so it's kind of like, like they're all skiing on head, but they're also skiing on different things. And, and it's been, you know, that the first year was definitely very eye opening with how much I had to kind of decipher between what, what I wanted to be skiing on what the setup needed to be. And I think this year it's been a lot more like simplification because I know I have a pretty good understanding of what the skis are going to be like. Um, and it's just been about kind of like dialing the boots. That was the biggest focus this year. So I, I, I mean, I skied on Rosigno my whole, you know, life up until two years ago and it, I think there's a lot of, you know, natural movements and like reliability that I knew just like subconsciously with Rossignol. And so now it's like getting the consistency and so that my natural movement patterns are specific to my new head setup. Um, I think that's just, a, that's just a matter of time. I think too, like, you know, every, every down Kitzbühel or Rangan or Bormio is new experience and new feedback um, that I kind of get to learn from and, and process and get better from.
0: I have a couple questions with that. One, the signal boot, the Lang boot is very different from that head boot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What have you had to adjust to and what have you adjusted?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I was expecting it to be more similar than it was. Um, I think that's just, that's on me too. And I think then the biggest thing that I learned too was just like, I was trying to ski a similar plastic to what I was in Rossi and that ended up being too stiff with the head. So like, I've definitely, this boots I'm in now are significantly softer, but I think that gives me kind of more pliability, like in the turn, especially through, you know, a little bit of chop, a little bit of bumps. I think it's like a little bit more forgiving and keeps the ski engaged. Um, the other really interesting difference between the two companies is even just base bevel. Like, heads base level is like sounds more aggressive than it is whereas Rosio is probably in like a one to a 1.25 i think heads is like i'll bounce back between a 0.5 and a 0.8 um and that's just like that's based on the machine they use and and for whatever reason so that would say that's the things there yeah
0: voodoo and science mixing yeah. it yeah you've also had oh well, you still have ian but you yeah. don't have Forrest anymore. Who else do you have working with you now as far as coaches?
3: Yeah, so we have – I mean, I've been spending most of my time with the speed team. So Randy Pelke is our head coach. And then Urban, he's Slovenian, so I never get his last name right, but it's like Plenisage. Um And then Scotty Venus is now – so he's – the last two seasons, he's worked like summer camps through December 31st, and then he goes home for the winter. So he's um, – I think he's still – touring around europe but not with a team and then um austin severia was new this year um ben black is our kind of strength and conditioning slash um on hill coach slash also like tech it guy and then caitlin chicconi our um our pt so those are i hope i'm not forgetting anyone i think that's one yeah that's the squad the rest of your team,
0: it's it's been it's been an interesting season or start so far for, for, the, for the team. <laughs> yeah. The moose moose stuck some in there. Sam Morse, yeah, at a at a at a nice couple runs. Eric Arvison. Mm-hmm. What's your what's
3: your take on on the team of the the speed team now? I, it's interesting because I think this summer like seeing how we were progressing based on our training in La Parva and our training in Portillo and I mean, copper too. I think we like, I thought we were going to make a really big step, um, as a team. And I think it was just a very big change from going from copper to Lake Louise and then to beaver Creek. I think we kind of definitely took a step back. And, um, I think it's been frustrating at moments because I think a lot of the guys one can just, we can all be skiing better than we have on race day. Um, and when you don't get those results, especially early on in the season, then you feel like you're like, just <laughs> trying to swim to stay alive. Um, it was interesting with Gardana. Cause I mean, as a team, we performed pretty well, especially relative to the other two races. Like, I mean, obviously Sam getting, I think mean, he was 10th and 15th. And then, I mean, both Goldie and Travis were pretty solid, but it was interesting for like Bryce and I, we both struggled. Um, I mean, struggling like relative to how we have skied in the past there. And I think we kind of all as a group recognize we can be doing better. And um I'm hoping that you know we're we're building on that idea of who we are. And I thought Bormio, you know, I think some guys were still trying to figure things out and didn't didn't ski that well. Um but then others I mean like Eric getting I think he was 15th in the downhill and then 20 first in the super G and then Kyle also getting points in the super G um I mean those are like you know Bormio was as world cup downhill as it gets and like was incredibly challenging and for those young guys to kind of be in that mix and kind of see that they they belong there I think is really important and I I hope like you know as a team we're kind of we're helping you know not just those of us that are in the 30 and trying to get better, but also the guys that are, we're hoping to get in and try to bring them in with us so that we have a stronger team. Um, but yeah, it's kind of always, you know, I don't think we're ever, you're never happy because you feel like you always do better and you're never, I think, totally disappointed because it can always be worse is I feel like how how we're at right now, but just trying to clean things up and, and move forward from here.
0: When you look at the rest of your season, you get to go home and race, like back to America-ish, yep. like home-ish. That's going to be fun. Yep. Um, you've got world championships. It feels pretty long when you think of where you are now to to where it ends up. Uh, what's the What's the key factor for you to be going at all cylinders from now till March?
3: I think it's just like after Gardena, I kind of tried to take a spe- step a step back and we were able to get some really good training in Fulgaria, like three days of good GS training. I think that's like what I need to kind of prioritize at this point is getting my, you know, foundational movements strong and I think really sound so that when I am on the speed tracks, like I'm generating power, um, I'm skiing with speed and that's kind of, I think where I just need to maintain the consistency, um, I think like we definitely spent a lot of time prioritizing speed training this past summer and, and we're, I think really all as a group, a lot stronger with gliding, but I think we're, we're lacking a little bit with, you know, the sections that you need to ski kind of a little bit more like GS skier. So for me, I'm just trying to, you know, stay square through the turn. I think driving to the front of the ski entering turns, those are kind of like my, I think just key focuses of what, what links up and what hap- happens when I start to ski to my best. Do you have a full GS schedule ahead of you too? What's your thinking with GS? <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not racing Adelboad and um, there's potential for me to race garmisch The, the thing is I feel like I've gone into GS races where I didn't get a good GS block prior and it's just such a fight even just to so like get a second round. And so I think I would only want to be doing it if, you know, I think I felt like I had a realistic chance of doing well. Um, we'll see how much training I can get before Garmish for GS. Uh, but right now I think the priority is still just super G and downhill and um, trying to, you know, ski consistently in those two events. I think the other problem too is like, if like with world champs, if there was a spot open for the GS, the scheduling of it is, so much time between the last speed race and then the GS that I think it'd be for me, I just feel like it'd be nice to just come home and, um, get a little break rather than trying to stick around for that last race. The scheduling kind of always comes into play. So it's, it's a challenge.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't mind talking about in the last two years, how, how are you wiser? What do you know now
3: that you didn't know before? That's a good question. I think, I don't know. I think I'm wiser with, I mean, just like the equipment that I'm on, I think there, especially last year, there was a lot of time where I felt like, I felt like I was struggling with the equipment in different situations. And I think this year it's like recognizing that I was feeling that way because of my own tentativeness with how I was approaching it with my own skiing. So the ownership aspect of like at the end of the day, you're the, the racer and you have to dictate what happens. Um, I think that's been pretty key too. Cause it, it like, rather than, I mean, it's like blaming external things that may or may not relate. I think like having ownership of yourself and what you can be doing yourself is way more valuable. And I think I like viewing that across the board with, you know, the whole approach as to both training and um, the mental aspects of everything. I think, you know, owning, owning your, you know, what's going wrong, I think will create, will give you a solution that you can resolve rather than relying on, you know, things that are out of your control to get better so that you get better is, you know, you're not going to be very happy at the end of the day if that's what you're trying to do.
0: Jeff and I often use the term um, ownership from the Latin own your shit.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's like, that's true in like all athletics too. I think the best athletes are the ones that, you know, have, you know, their own, the most reliance on themselves rather than external conditions to perform well and they're adaptable and they can, you know, overcome. There's a, I forgot there was a basketball coach, I can't remember her
0: name that was saying it. I got fired up just listening to it. It's like life, this doesn't get easier. Yeah. You just get better at doing hard things. Yeah,
3: for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: What's your confidence level now as far as where you are, health, mentality, equipment, scheduling? fitness life compared to where you
3: were a couple of years ago and where you think you need to be? I think like the position I'm at is a lot more solid than where I was. Like, I mean, even regardless of the injury was like, I think back then I was still kind of coming up, but it wasn't like, I think there was a lot of, um, inconsistency with my skiing that didn't quite bring me to the top level. Um, whereas now I feel like I'm, I'm consistently like, feel like on my best days I'm able to perform, you know, in that solid top 10 group. Um, but I think the confidence that I had back then is kind of what I'm lacking right now. Uh, you know, the ability that you just feel like you can just go out and ski and perform as one of the best at or best skiers in the world. I think I I view it, um whether it's like intimidation or or feeling like i'm not as good as you know Odermoc Kilda those kind of guys um whereas i think it's like it just takes confidence to go you know fully trust yourself and not focus on anything else i think that's kind of what what i'd like to get to i bet a lot of people win. <laughs> yeah no absolutely it's a battle yeah do you talk to Paul Molson? Must you keep in contact with her and Ryan? Yeah, we're all, I mean, I think we're good friends. We don't, it's not like we're texting on, you know, Tuesday nights, checking in. Um, what but, What
0: advice would you give her? What, <laughs> what have you given her before her second place? <laughs> and what do you give it now?
3: Um, I think it's hard, like in the situation that what she was prior to her podium. Cause I think like, I mean, it's easy also looking back being like, you don't really need to change anything. Like you're skiing incredibly well. It's just a matter of time and consistency on race day for it to come together. And clearly that's kind of what happened. And I think like now that she has shown that she's at that top level, she has to do her best to keep doing the things that put her there rather than, I think you get a lot more tension and like things change kind of from the outside, but you know, your skiing has to maintain that same focus and that same intensity. Um, and that can be hard to do, but I think it's just, you know, you're, I would say there's no need to change anything right now. I think you just have to trust yourself and, um, yeah. And and trust your ability. That's probably good
0: advice for you too. No,
3: (laughs) I think so. Yeah. I think there's times when like, I felt like I've like, it's a grind and pushing through it is when you can kind of build confidence. I feel like, I'm a little bit there right now and it's just a matter of getting, you know, a few good results under me. And then I'll feel like with that, it'll, I think it can be
0: powerful. What is it? The Dunning Kruger chart. Have you seen that where it's as you age, your confidence is here yeah. and, but, versus what you actually know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And then the more, you know, you actually have less confidence and yeah. Uh, you should look into that.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, it's like, it's such a challenging sport. Cause I think you're always one way or another, you're always in comparison to other racers. And I think it's, it's up to yourself to be able to not get too discouraged one way or not get too overconfident the other. Like, I think it's like you kind of have to be middle of the ground um, and in a good place in order to succeed.
0: Is, is the best way for you to find that next level of confidence is it just more training? Is it a better environment around you? Is it just a, a little switch of adjustment mentally? Is it just one day to like I, a popular result? And then
3: all kinda the like, do you need the result first? How did, what's your plan to? No, I think, I think it first comes the skiing, um, you know, good consistency, having like a very clear focus. Um, and for me, I think, especially with downhill, like having the opportunity to ski the tracks, in training rounds before the race i think i can gain confidence from that um but i think it's like yeah gaining confidence with the skiing you're doing and then also kind of getting results to back that up is kind of how it really like really um takes off so but first i mean i think it, when it all comes down to it it's always skiing that that leads so ronald reagan said trust but verify Yeah. yeah <laughs>
0: Welcome back. Special thanks to Ryan Cochran-Siegel for an incredible conversation, for his openness, for his experience that he's sharing with us. Just he's a great guy, very smart. It's always a pleasure to learn from him. It is now time for our Swix Thoughts of the Day. As always, I'd encourage you to share your Swix Thoughts of the Day with us at the next Kara, we'll let Jeff go first this week. <laughs> Keep you guessing Psych. there a little bit. <laughs> you panic there a little bit. <laughs> Jeff, we'll start with you. What are you thinking? What are your Swix uh, thoughts of the day?
2: Well, Martin, you talked to Ryan about how long it's, he has been on the team and how long it took him to have success. And if that was the best model or what the perfect model was. And isn't that our constant discussion as coaches is what works best in developing young athletes? Well, if we had that answer, we could bottle it up and sell it. One thing I know is that athletes are different. They develop at different times and different ages. They all need different things in their development, in their mental training and their physical growth, and in their confidence. And RCS talks about his confidence or lack of confidence and how it goes up and down, depending on things like injury and setbacks, equipment changes. And imagine even at 30 years of age, he's still talking about his confidence as he's being chased by the young guys but he did say how important it is to have a team around him. One thing I know for sure is it must be great for those young American superstars or up and coming superstars like river Adamus, Sam Morris and alike to have the elder Statesman and mentor Ryan Cochran Siegel around. It's always good to
0: have Ryan Cochran Siegel around in all circumstances. That's what I'm learning. Thanks for that, Jeff. I appreciate those thoughts. Kara, what are you thinking? What are your Swix thoughts of the day?
1: Well, Martin, I liked your little Jedi mind trick near the end of the interview when you asked him about what advice he would give to Paula Molson prior to her winning her silver and simmering. When Ryan was injured in Kitzbühel in 2021, he was at a high point in his career, and I I totally get where you were going with this train of thought. Like Ryan said, it's a matter of time and consistency on race day. Trust in yourself. Trust in your ability. Ski like you believe you can win. Of course, I also liked what he said about ownership, that you have to have ownership about bad days and bad runs. It can't always be the fault of the snow conditions or your equipment or your coaching or whatever. Owning the runs where things go wrong will give you ownership and confidence when the things start to go right. And as we've been talking about, yeah, he's 30 years old now, and he name-checks Bayette Voigt a couple of times, who, by the way, had a very successful career after turning 30. He won the world championships and an Olympic gold medal. And I believe Ryan has more in him. Uh, On his US ski and snowboard profile, he wrote that his career ambitions are to win the World Cup downhill title, win the Olympic medal and a world championship medal. Uh, He also wants to win the Kitzbühel downhill. So he's already achieved one of these goals in his silver medal at the Olympics. And I'd love to see him achieve the others because I 100% believe that he has the ability and the capacity to do so. So let's hope your little Jedi mind trick worked, Martin.
0: That was some high-level voodoo stuff I gave him. Wow, that was good. It,
1: it really was. It was very sneaky.
0: I appreciate those thoughts. For me, I, I, I'm, I'm always s- struck when talking to anybody from the Cochrane family how much they love the sport, how much it is in the fabric of their being. I encourage anybody, whoever has the chance to be around this area, to go check out Cochran's uh, and see what it's like. This little tiny area, it just produces love of the sport. The idea that Ryan Cochran Siegel was fifth at Bormio. three days later was training slalom next to the tap lines of syrup at Cochrane's with 100 U16 kids and then stayed out late to train more with his cousin, Robbie, <laughs> is a testament to how or why he is good. Not how he is good, why he is good. Uh, it's such a big part of it. I love talking to an athlete with a different perspective of their confidence at different stages to talk to Ryan two years ago. And now just to see the, the subtleties of difference of how he thinks about himself and what he um, is capable of doing is it's really quite interesting. He is so patient. He is still patient. And I think that's why Carrie, you recognize that he's got staying power. He's got longevity. He's he's a great skier. He's a great guy and he loves it. That buys you a lot of time in this sport. Those are my quick thoughts of the day. Again, as always, I'd encourage everybody listening to share your quick thoughts of the day with us at the nextturnpodcast.com. But until next week, we'll meet you back here on the next turn. Be well.